0: And now, Veep Thoughts by Kamala Harris Women are getting pregnant every day in America and this is a real issue and we need to act with a sense of haste This has been Veep Thoughts by Kamala Harris Stu Does America
1: Well, hello there. Yes, I'm back from vacation. Just took a couple months off, no big deal. BlazeTV.com/slash Stu is the place to go to subscribe to Blaze TV. Use the promo code STU and save 10 bucks. We got a lot of great stuff coming up today. Paul Bryan is here with the latest on uh, the craziness with electric vehicles. Is monkeypox the next big excuse for a liberal overreach or just something all the cool kids are getting? But we start by doing The climate distraction. I noticed something while I was out on break here over the past week or so. It was hot. It was hot, like all over the place. People were noticing it was warm. And I have this theory. Um, There are several months of the year where it seems to be this way. Almost every year it's hot in Texas, you know, right around this time. And I don't know if there's a pattern to that or if anyone has noticed Maybe summarize what these months are called, like um, summer. I don't know. But it seems to be that everybody was fascinated with the idea that it was very, very warm over the past couple of weeks. I'm not exactly sure why this was a surprise to so many people, but I guess we should take this seriously and note that it was warmer than normal. Now, I've been told for a long time, you should not confuse weather with climate because when it snows in an April climate, uh, during an April climate hearing and we all laugh about it and we say, I can't believe the global warming people are gonna have to deal with snow on their way in to talk about global warming in April. They say, don't confuse weather and climate, but when it's just hot or a little hotter than normal in the summer, then absolutely confuse weather and climate. It's totally okay when it goes that way, at least I've noticed. Climate activists seem to be getting crazier and crazier by the day, and it was interesting to watch all their uh, tactics. Um, Climate activists embrace extreme tactics and violence as deadline to save the planet draws near. In recent months, far-left activists have glued themselves to famous paintings. I don't know what that does to the climate exactly. Uh, They have disrupted new pipeline construction, scaled buildings, blocked rush hour traffic, lit themselves on fire, which might be the one real solution to this problem. Just just light, if you're this nuts, just light yourself on fire and then all these problems go away for both of us, for both of us. Um, And then of course, they also threatened to disrupt the congressional baseball game. And I will say, if we know anything about the left, when they threaten to disrupt the congressional baseball game, you should take them seriously. Okay, that one, we we know how that one turns out when the left decides, you know, I'm going to go disrupt some baseball. Uh, we know how that one turns out. If you happen to be a Bernie Sanders volunteer, someone else wrote that joke, just so you know. Um, Al Gore has been going on television again. He's found new relevance lately for him to speak very slowly and deliberately about climate issues, and he was on trying to scare you for the nine millionth time about the climate catastrophe.
0: What what is your sense? Is it time for the president to declare that climate change is a national emergency?
2: Well, Mother Nature has already declared it a global uh, emergency and Mm. I'll leave it to others to uh, parse the the pros and cons of what, uh, Uh, an an emergency declaration would lead to. But there are other things he can do right now. The EPA can take action to further limit emissions from power plants uh, and Mm. from tailpipes. And the Supreme Court decision did not take all their power away. Mm. Uh, We could stop allowing oil and gas uh, 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 drilling on public lands uh, and Uh, Mm. He could appoint a new head of the World Bank instead of the climate denier that leads it now, appointed by his predecessor.
1: Mm. Fascinating list. By the way, um, the the Supreme Court absolutely did deal with the EPA. They can't do anything that would be a major uh, change. They can do minor things. They can tweak here and there. But what he's looking for, of course, is massive dramatic change, which is specifically what that uh, Supreme Court ruling uh, ruled out. Uh, Also... For a guy who talks a lot about science, you know, Mother Nature isn't actually a scientific concept. I don't know if anyone knows that. I know we say things like that often, but for somebody who's so concerned with scientific consensus, Mother Nature has declared it a crisis is not a scientific point. I don't know if anyone's noticed that. But if you thought that maybe he was just kind of dumb or maybe just ill-informed or, uh, you know, just, uh, just kind of wallowing away in his climate uh, craziness. You also should f- remember that Al Gore's is also kind of a a bad guy, like a guy that just blurts out things that are really offensive and doesn't seem to care at all about who he might be offending when he says them much.
2: You know, the climate deniers uh, uh, are... Really, in some ways, similar to all of those uh, almost 400 law enforcement officers in Uvalde, Texas, who were waiting outside an unlocked door uh, while the children were being massacred. They heard the screams, they heard the gunshots, and Mm -hmm. uh, nobody stepped forward. And God bless those families who suffered so much. And Mm -hmm. Law enforcement officials tell us that's not typical of what law enforcement usually does. And is that what they say? Confronted with this global emergency, what we're doing with our inaction and failing to walk through the door and stop the killing uh, is not typical of what we are capable of as human beings. Uh,
1: uh, What a piece of trash this guy is. Uh, So he wanted to uh, make his little climate point on the backs of a bunch of dead children. So he was able to successfully uh, do that. Congratulations uh, to you, there, Al. That was that was a great a great moment. And of course, he takes a shot at the uh, at the police generally too. It wasn't just these police are bad, but the police tell us that normally that's not the way these things go. As if he has no idea that this was an exceptionally bad performance by police officers. Um, but this is who Al Gore is, right? I mean, he comes out. This is why he's brought on TV. He's not brought on TV to give you any facts. He's not brought on TV. He's he, he's only there to tell you what Mother Nature believes. And also uh, to make uh, comparisons to mass shootings. Uh, I guess that that is appropriate for the news media these days. But this is what you get out of Al Gore. I don't know why you'd invite him on if you wanted anything else. Uh, Look, at some point you get to a level where your claims get out of control. It kind of goes back to, like, Jerry. remember the Jerry Springer show? Jerry Springer comes on TV. He's sort of outlandish, and he's having, you know, maybe a boyfriend and girlfriend, and they're fighting a lot, and, you know, it's kind of interesting, and people are getting into it, and it's starting to become more popular. So what do they do? They escalate the claim. They escalate the claim. They escalate the claim. All the situations get more tense, a little more ridiculous, a little more absurd. Now the boyfriend's a Nazi, and the girl comes out of the closet in the middle of the interview and now it's the Nazi versus the lesbian and now they're punching each other on stage and now they're lighting each other on fire and it gets up and up and up and up and eventually you get to this point where you can't up the claims anymore and you just have to start making stuff up and then that goes on for a while and at the end of the day you're left with a core audience that thinks it's kind of fun to watch completely outlandish situations that they kind of know are fake, but they're going along with them anyway because they like the entertainment, and everybody else is kind of gone. And that's where the climate movement is at this point. They keep escalating these claims. They keep saying they're more serious, more dire, coming soon to a theater near you over and over and over and over and over and over again. And eventually people just kind of tune it out, and they don't believe it anymore. I mean, look at where we are now. PBS uh, said join Nova as they take a tasty look at insect foods that could benefit our health and our warming planet. Edible Insects premieres tonight at 7.35 p.m. I know I'll be there making sure I check that out because I'm wondering, do you saute them with peppers and onions? What's the best way to prepare a locust? We'll all find out tonight at 7.35 p.m. And you might think, well, that's absolutely crazy. Like, no one's going to, to think that, hey, it's time to start eating bugs. Well, they've already passed the eating bugs phase. We've been hearing that for a while. Now they're elevating it to cannibalism. Yes, U.S. public broadcasting has encouraged people to eat tasty insects, of course. But now the New York Times has tweeted that, and the link to an article, this is the tweet, a taste for cannibalism? It's a piece that argues that cannibalism is having a moment right now because of some recent stomach-churning books and on television and film screens. You see, we're having this climate catastrophe after all, and cannibalism is going to be looking like a pretty good option coming soon. If you've never had a flame-broiled arm, I would uh, recommend it highly. It's uh, quite delicious. Just don't, just, you know, make sure you have it with a starch because it won't set right in your stomach. Now this is not something new either, I suppose, but it used to be just complete lunatics saying things like this. Let me give you one, Ted Turner.
2: We'll have eight degrees, we'll be eight degrees hotter in 10, not 10, but in 30 or 40 years.
0: And basically none of the crops will grow. Most of the people will have died and the rest of us will be cannibals. Civilization will have broken down. The few people left will be living in in, in a failed state like Somalia or Sudan. And, and living conditions
1: will
2: be intolerable. The droughts will be so bad.
1: So there you go. Do you remember that at all? Do you remember? Do you remember this sort of prediction? I mean, you think about. You know, you, you laugh about the cannibalism thing, which hasn't, as far as I know, really started uh, in, in earnest quite yet. But the other claims are claims that were absolutely in line with what the climate alarmists were telling us at the time. Within 10 to 30 years, we'd be 8 degrees warmer. Now, we're, I think, 0.3 degrees warmer since then. So I don't know if we're going to get to 8 or 11. But that is what they were telling us, that food wouldn't grow. I don't know. I mean, look, as much as we complain about inflation, and that's a real problem, I'm pretty sure we're able to find food. There's food on the shelves, generally. There might be not quite the choices that we uh, wish we had, but apparently he was early on the cannibalism thing. It's not going to take 30 years. The New York Times advocating for it right now. We're already there in the paper of record. And they go and they blame. They blame you having children. They will blame anything uh, uh, as the cause of global warming. The latest one is they're blaming people with asthma. Uh, They're saying... In an amazing story, again, the I think this is the New York Times, the cruel irony of inhalers. Yes, they're saying that climate change is making asthma worse, and then people take inhalers, which again is making climate change worse, and it's a terrible, terrible cycle. They say that uh, inhalers are uh, roughly 1,500 to 3,600 uh, times as bad, as, uh, bad uh, as a greenhouse gas as carbon dioxide, and uh, you usually need to buy certain types of inhalers to protect the climate. Can we just leave the people with asthma alone? They're, they're already having difficulties breathing. They don't need this nonsense in their life. The problem here is it's kind of been a shocking thing to watch. You, know, you see, this all sort of started with a lot of stories about Great Britain where they were having these uh, very high temperatures and they had a heat wave and they hit their highest temperatures. They would hit in quite a while. Europe uh, had this as well. And we've had a lot of areas that have had relatively sharp sort of summers this year. And that has been a problem for some people, particularly elderly people. But this is not a new problem. This is something that has been going on for a very long time. If you go back about 20 years, there was a big heat wave in Europe. And at the time, it was really dramatic about, you know, there are estimates between 35,000 and 70,000 people who died in the heat wave of, I think it was 2003. And like, you wonder why all of this goes on? Why do 35,000 people die in a heat wave? What, what year is it? Like, I, what are you talking about people die in a heat wave in these numbers? Well, back, I mean, I wanted to go back To show you that this has been going on for so long, let me go back to uh, a number one bestseller by one Glenn Beck. This is back in 2005, 2006, something like that. It was his first number one New York Times bestseller, an inconvenient book. And let me just give you a little commentary on what happened with the European heat wave of the early 2000s. When the heat wave of 2003 hit Europe, nearly 35,000 mostly elderly people died. The size and scope of the tragedy gave global warming theorists an opportunity to spout their views to almost every news camera on the globe. They claim that events like this justify the EU spending an estimated $1.443 trillion by 2023 to alter its energy industry enough to possibly avert climate change. 100 years ago, there was nothing you could do about a heat wave except stay away from fat, smelly relatives. Now we can do this magic thing called condition the air. 35,000 air conditioners cost about $2.5 million dollars or perhaps you could fill uh, you could pick a few vacant office buildings that your economy and its double digit unemployment rates can't support and turn the AC on. Then just fi- fire up a few gasoline powered school buses and shuttle old people to the air conditioned facilities. Repeat every time it gets hot. That was the solution, set of solutions uh, given by Glenn back in the day. And it's obviously a, a simplified version of what we've talked about 100 million times. Adaptation. If it does get warmer, yes, you may need to develop new ways to fight against that heat. Uh, you know, much of Europe has gone this whole time without really implementing air conditioning. And so when these heat waves happen, which are relatively rare, they're not prepared. And older people who are su- particularly susceptible to high levels of heat have died. That's tragic and it shouldn't happen. in, In a time like this, we have plenty of resources to make sure people are cool through a couple of weeks of 100 degree temperatures anywhere on the globe. And if you think about this, their 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 image of what may happen to Europe is it could be a place where every summer hits 100 degrees. And I don't know if you can imagine such a place. I can. It's right outside this studio right now. We live in a place where every summer it hits 100 degrees on multiple days. This summer has been particularly hot. It's been a little hotter than normal. It's been 107 instead of 101. Uh, And it's been 98 instead of 92 on a bunch of days. And, of course, the globe in and of itself is only warmed about a degree. But at times you're going to have these periods. And you know what happens? We're inside a lot more. That's what happens. We're able to deal with it because we prepared with not trying to regulate the global temperature, but instead trying to regulate the rooms we're in. That's how you do this. With modern civilization, you take the tools you've learned and developed through technology and all these other things, use your national, uh, natural resources to protect your citizens because you want to use, and this is a tough concept for anyone to understand, you want to use more energy. Actually, the outcome that is better is that we use more energy. We don't cut our energy. We don't want to turn down civilization. That's what civilization is. It's based on energy. It's based on using natural resources and taking uh, 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 advantage of them. Uh, Alex Epstein calls it the mastery of the climate. That's the goal. Not giving into the climate so it controls us. It's mastering the climate, not with a little fancy gauge that you turn up and down like you're some magician and you can control the climate uh, of the entire globe. Instead, you use innovation and adaptation to be able to deal with these situations as they come up because the truth has been really obvious to people for forever. You can't predict what the next environmental crisis is 100 years in the future. In 1900, there were all these stories written about how you're, they're going to come up and solve the environmental issue of the day, which was, of course, the piling up feces from horses. I mean, in the future, there's going to be so many horses. How are we going to get rid of all this dung? That was the environmental issue of the day. And you know what happened? Cars... That's what happened. There wasn't really a dung problem, although now there's a human dung problem in many of the same cities. Uh, That's a totally different uh, story, however. The point here, though, is that what we're talking about when we talk about climate change is one central thing. And I mentioned this before the break, and I wanna bring it up again because I was going through an inconvenient book, and I remember mentioning this the other day. What is the actual goal of controlling climate change? What is the goal? Is the goal to have impact uh, or not have impact on the Earth? I mean, not really, right? I mean, like, we don't care if we have an impact uh, on the Earth. First of all, some impacts can be positive. But secondly, what we really care about is not how much we impact the Earth. It's how we impact humanity. How do we make the world better for human beings? How do they flourish, to put it in Alex's words? It's important to think that way, to prioritize how this works for not just us, but also uh, animal and plant life, of course. But, like, the goal here, right, is... This is a planet, and we're talking about humans flourishing. We want poor people to do better. We want rich people to do better. We want everyone to do better. That's what I thought the goal was. What's the number one thing you'd worry about if you cared about climate change? How many people are dying due to climate-related incidents, right? That's the number one thing you'd think about. Yet, that's not included in any the IPCC reports from the United Nations. Why? Isn't that the number one thing you'd want to look at? What are the trends as far as how many people die from climate related disasters? And I said, you know, that chart is only found in one of these two publications. Number one, the UN IPCC reports. Number two, Glenn Beck's an inconvenient book. And yeah, it is in there. I went back and found it. Here's exactly how it looked in the uh, book. Back from 2007, as you see, CO2, the red line, is rising. The exact thing they tell you will kill tons and tons of people. But how about death by extreme weather, climate-related deaths? It falls by the total. There is about 98.7 percent the rate of, of failure, of, fall, uh, of uh, decrease, 98.7 percent, and it's gone down even farther from there. Even though it's almost touching the bottom of the chart, there's almost None as you compare it to history. That's a good thing. But the truth is, and this is the hard thing for everybody to understand here, because you look at all these incidents separately, you don't understand it. But the truth is, they have nothing else. Why is all this happening? Why does the left seem so desperate? Why are they latching on to all of these wild claims and tactics? Why are they trying to fire their base up with the craziest of AOC-style claims about every issue? Because they have nothing else. Inflation is a nightmare. Their own economists are predicting a recession. Over 80% of people think we're on the wrong track. The border is overheating. Russia has turned the tables on Ukraine. Our supply chains haven't been solved. I can't get a car delivered in less than 11 months. Taco Bell can't keep the Mexican pizza in stock. In short, everything is going wrong all at once, and they're in charge. They have to come up with something. They have to create some fear. They have to blame someone for something. These are not the actions of a confident party. They are the actions of a desperate party. So why is this happening? Four words. They have nothing else. Right now, court packing is a real danger to our democracy. Uh, Make no mistake, court packing is a coup. It's a coup of the Supreme Court. You've seen they do not like the results of the Supreme Court recently. So the typical people, the Bidens, the Pelosi's, the Schumer's, they're all out there working overtime on a new radical plan to do something about the Supreme Court. Pack it, adjust it, change it, ignore them. They're trying all these things. If we don't stop them from installing four more justices as Elizabeth Warren just came out and said they want to do immediately, Uh, They can rig the system in their favor, and that's what they want to do. It will be catastrophic for our court, our country, our way of life. We can't let that happen. Not on our watch. That's why we need you to join with First Liberty Institute. They're gathering a coalition of one million patriots to say no to court packing, no to the liberal agenda, no to the Supreme Court coup. Uh, this is a a you know, lot of conservatives on this, and I will say, we've talked to you about First Liberty Institute many times. Jeremy Dice has been on the show. It's a great organization, and they were right there on these major religious liberty cases, right there on the, on the right to life decision. All these important things that we've heard and had from the Supreme Court over the past uh, couple of years, uh, First Liberty Institute has been right in the middle of them, protecting your rights when it comes to COVID uh, and, and your church. All these things. Go to SupremeCoup.com, SupremeCoup.com, SupremeCoup.com. You can sign First Liberty's letter there and join with them. It's SupremeCoup.com. Check it out now. I'm happy to welcome Emmy Award winning automotive expert Paul Bryan back to the program. He's the co-host of the His Turn, Her Turn review series. Be sure to check that out for sure. Paul, how's it going? Hello, Mr. B, and welcome back. Yeah, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Um, can we start with uh, you, you know you you watch the auto industry closer than anybody, and we're in the middle of this supposed transition from the combustion engine to electric vehicles. And I, to be honest, I, for a long time, I was really skeptical this was ever gonna happen. Americans love their cars, they love their combustion engines. And <laughs> I, I just didn't think it was gonna happen. But I mean, all these companies are telling me they're not making anything but electric cars come, let's say 2030. Is that reality? And how is the transition going so far? I,
0: Stu, I want you to think about J.B. Pritzker. Okay, get mm-hmm. that in your mind. Mm-hmm. Governor of Illinois. Yes, and and somebody comes along and says, JB, next Friday we're going to start making thirty-four inch jeans, and those are the only ones that you can buy. Mm-hmm. What in the world is JB going to do when he's got a fifty-eight inch waist? <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, you know, it's it's good to live in Illinois. Mm-hmm. Uh, But the problem is, is that this whole agenda is being jammed at people and the the most important part of any transaction, the agreement of a willing buyer and, and a willing seller is not being, it's not being fulfilled. With all of the agenda that we've had and all of the promotion that we've had and all of the uh huzzah that's been going around this, we're still looking at 2% market penetration. People are not lining up to buy them. They still see a lot of problems with them. We are not in a position to uh, you know, we're not in a position to charge the cars that they want to build on the timeline that they've got. You usually if you order abandoned ship at some point or other, you've got to feel that there's some lifeboats out there, you know, someplace, mm. and it just doesn't exist. And the the abject stupidity that I see on this, with I mean, you can look at a lot of different levels of stupidity in this administration, but from what I see, if if stupidity on this issue were a crime, I would see Buttigieg and Granholm on death row. Mm-hmm. This is just, ins- it's incredible to take a look at. We aren't ready for it, nor is the public asking for it.
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting because, I, I mean, you do hear a decent amount of buzz of people. There is a uh, certain section of people who really love Tesla and certainly are obsessed with Elon Musk and everything that he does. But, like, it doesn't seem like the average person is going down these ro- uh, roads. Obviously, these are relatively yeah. expensive cars. One thing I'm fascinated about, though, is... There is this thing that I sense, and I, I don't know if it's just my, my perception or what, but, like, I thought there would be this battle between these big car companies that would come out and say, like, we're not going down that road. These people want electric. We're not, when they tell us they want electric cars, we'll go down that road. And I thought there would be this fight where they would protect their legacy and yet I feel like the opposite is happening. I feel like they're going down this road and, and trying to just play along with every crazy environmentalist idea. And the fact that they're building the last generation of of these uh, combustion engines and announcing that and praising themselves for doing it. I, I mean, it feels like they're just as much on board for this as the government is.
0: Well, well, the government's got the big boot in this conversation. And, and that's the problem. You, you have not just Tesla, but you take a look across the board. Uh, Hyundai has been building some wonderful electric vehicles. Uh, the Ford F-150, I just drove uh, down in Central Texas here uh, a month or so ago. Wonderful pickup truck. I mean, it's really cool. But you know what, it, it, the, <laughs> the Ford Motor Company and all of the other manufacturers are sitting there saying, if we don't build these, it's going to cost us. And they have an ultimate responsibility to their shareholders to produce some money. And sadly, as we took a look at a story that broke last week, Ford, for instance, now is saying, look, we're going to have to cut some jobs here and put a whole lot of money into EVs, or we're going to be suffering fines. And... It's rampant throughout the entire industry. There, There's some people building great electric vehicles. Audi is doing it, uh, uh, Mercedes is doing it, General Motors has a couple of good ones. Uh, you know, you, you, even Jaguar, cars like that. But you're looking at a car on average with a cost of sixty-eight to $70,000. And again, the problem with this is that you don't have people while there is some additional Interest in it, it's just not at, It's it's not at the level that they need to sustain or justify that kind of investment. Mm.
1: Um, before we move off of electric cars, I, I want to. Uh, can you explain to us uh, what's happening in the picture that you sent of a Tesla on the side of the <laughs> road? This is an amazing picture. Can you can you walk us through this?
0: Uh, to tell you the truth, I just saw it on Facebook yesterday, and it cracked me up. Here, here was a guy with his Tesla. And he was uh, towing his <laughs> the poor guy went on vacation and found out one of the great truths of life, which is that if you're towing something, your uh, driving range is going to be impeded somewhat. So here he is. He's got an electric generator on the side of the road while he's charging his Tesla. <laughs> I hope he's some sort of Audubon society member so that he can enjoy the flora and fauna while his car is burning fossil fuel. That's
1: <laughs> the way it always comes back to that. You know, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, there, I don't know if anyone's ever noticed this. The electricity doesn't come from little elves in the wall. It comes typically from fossil fuels, uh, and in this case, directly from fossil fuels. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes, you know it's it's an astonishing thing, and and while we could be building more nuke, we could be and and we could be drilling for more uh, for more natural gas. I personally think that the real answer would be in uh, CNG, mm-hmm. and and we have ways of making that a whole lot more palatable to to both the driver and the consumer, but. Uh, you know, every, everybody's on this this bandwagon now. And and to get back for a moment, when you talk, everybody talks about EVs and they go directly to Tesla. Hmm. And, yeah, they, they have the big stick in the market when they're talking about name recognition. But you know what? We who drive everybody's vehicles look at those and we go, are you kidding me? This is the build quality that they're putting out? It's it's an astonishingly bad badly uh, assembled and, and
1: uh, yeah no you know, <laughs> and I, I've heard that a lot from people yeah. talking of John Tesla's they have really amazing technology like their I mean their screens are fantastic but the car itself you know that's why I kind of like the, the the Porsche Taycan which is a it's a Porsche right like and you could tell it's a Porsche it's a nice looking car it's built well um, and 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 what's on the window. Mm-hmm. It starts at $143,000
0: <laughs>
1: It certainly does. It certainly does. That's what's on the That's window. That's what's on the window. Okay, let me go to – we're talking about cost here. Let me go to the supply chain. What is the current state of affairs? I'm at 11-plus months now on my car order. Uh, I was going to say, you have personal experience with this. We've been walking down this road together. I feel like you're my brother in Texas. <laughs> it's a bit amazing. An amazing journey. Yeah. Uh, what is the situation? Are we going to, I mean, when does this, when, is the, when does the supply chain catch up to the market?
0: A year ago, I would have told you now. But I thought that by this point, uh, some of the people who were in charge of transportation, whose name is Borodichek. <laughs> uh, might have had some of these things worked out. And we, we might have also had uh, our, our relationships somewhat ironed out enough so that we can start looking at production of chips back to somewhere near where we had before. Sadly, we don't. If, if, and, and you did ask me this question six, nine months ago. And, and I said, yeah, I'm looking around Q3 for this year. I'm I'm hoping that by Q2 next year, we'll be able to get back to it. It's really tough. There, There are fields, there are stadia who have parking lots that are filled with partially assembled cars because they don't have all of the chips to finish the car.
1: And is it all chips? Yours might be one of them. Yeah, it probably, it probably is. Is it just chips at this point, uh, Paul? Because, I mean, I... Well, it's
0: it's not just the, the chips that go in that the assembly lines do. R- remember that this is a big machine mm. where everything meshes like this. Just-in-time delivery used to mean that something had to arrive at the assembly line eh, around the week, hey, Louie, can you get me this by next Tuesday? Mm-hmm. Now they arrive within 15 or 20 minutes when it's humming, they arrive very, very closely to when they're supposed to be in the car. Well, you start doing that and you don't have the supplies from the suppliers, then it gums up the rest of the work. So they can't enter into the, in the Process of building that vehicle. Hmm.
1: Uh, it's crazy. It really is crazy. Uh, last one for you here, Paul. One thing I have—I've sure. seen—I've not seen a car uh, delivered in my world, and a lot of people are in the same situation where you know cars are taking longer and longer than ever before to to show up. Yet the advertisement rate seems to be the exact same. I see. Tons and tons of advertisements to get me to buy a car that they can't actually give me. It's just, I don't understand it. What What is the dynamic going on there where they keep spending the same amount of money on advertising, yet they can't actually deliver the cars?
0: Uh, it's it's uh, one of the great mysteries of life to me as well. I keep, I keep thinking that the marketing guys are sitting there going, hey, you know, what? if we don't spend this money, then they're not going to give it to us next year. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, they're out there. and and the dealers that I talk to are saying, you know, I, I don't understand it either. I know on the on some of the local levels for the dealer groups, whether it's uh, like here in Chicago, you've got uh, uh, the Ford uh, dealer group, the Chevrolet different ones, and and they're replicated all over the country. Um, you know, those groups have started aiming their marketing dollars at used vehicles they aren't really hammering the new stuff but there's two different strata of advertising that's going on you've got the local stuff that's going on at the, and then you've got the other stuff that comes from detroit or la or or soul or wherever it might be so uh, it it is uh, a mystery it's it's the, the
1: it's, it's a mystery. I will never understand it. It's, it's so fascinating. Um, um, uh, let me give you one more actually quick one. I got about 15 seconds here, Paul. Okay, okay. Uh, Your guy, Pritzker, is getting some buzz as a potential Joe Biden replacement if he uh, you know retires, goes to go spend more time with Hunter at a strip club or whatever's gonna to happen. Uh, is what can you see that happening? Who is this guy and, and should we be scared of him if we care about Liberty?
0: He's he's a trust fund baby who is on third base because of his money, but he's trying to convince you that he hit a triple. (laughs) Uh, That's that's the way it's been. He can outspend anybody into the governor's chair, which is what he did. And uh, I've, I've got a personal dog in this hunt because of the what, because of what happened with one of the Illinois veteran homes here. And, and a big big problem is gonna be happening for him on that level, and there's some other ones as well. Uh, can he muscle his way in? No, and, and remember if he does, you better have room at the table. Mm,
1: very, very, very interesting. All right, Paul Bryan, uh, Emmy Award winning automotive expert, of course, co-host of His Turn, Her Turn, the review series, uh, don't miss out. Paul, thanks so much for coming back on the program.
0: It's very good to see you again. Thanks again for the invitation.
1: Let's say you have a little extra money because you tried to buy a car 11 months ago and uh, hasn't showed up yet. Uh, You know, buying or selling a home can be one of these things where maybe a little extra money can get you over the top. When you're buying a new house, and especially in this market right now, uh, every little bit helps. But you don't want to overdo it. You don't want to overstep and, you know, put too much, you know, make some ridiculous offer, win the house and then be stuck with a purchase that doesn't make any sense. If you have a good real estate agent, you can avoid those pitfalls. If you're selling your home, you might think, hey, you know, I got a little extra money hanging around here, Uh, maybe I will put it into improvements on this house. And if you have a good real estate agent, they might say, hey, There's no reason to do all this stuff. You're going to spend all this money to improve the house, and then they're going to come in and and change it to the way they want it to be anyway. So don't bother. Just sell the house as is. You need to know. uh, All these are dynamic, moving things. You need to understand the market. You need to understand the local area. Real estate is the most local of markets. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go to find the person who really understands that, who can get you through any transaction when it comes to real estate. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. Go there now. Check it out. Real Estate Trust. Com. Look, I said I was on vacation, but that's not true. I had the monkeypox. That's true. Yeah. Tons and tons of monkeypox. Uh, I haven't really followed the monkeypox thing all that closely, largely because it doesn't seem to be contagious enough to warrant it after what we've been through the last couple of years. You know, look, if you have the monkeypox, I'm sorry for you. Uh, we do seemingly have some treatments for the monkeypox already, so... Great. Whatever. Um, It's been uh, the World Health Organization has said now it's a uh, public health emergency. It looks like the Biden administration might go on board with that as well. You know, they're trying to hype this into uh, the next covid uh, in the media. But I, I mean, it doesn't even seem like the scientists actually believe that's the case. And, uh, you know, so far we have not seen shutdowns or anything like that. It does not seem to be spreading nearly fast enough to justify anything like that. And so far we haven't seen it. Hopefully that continues. Uh, The U.S. is sending a 270 million dollars more not to fight monkey packs, but to uh, to Ukraine uh, because we haven't sent them enough yet. We've sent them more than the entire defense budget of Russia, but not enough yet. Any time, a few more dollars. Just a few more of your hard-earned dollars should win that battle for them. I mean, it really is a terrible struggle over there, and we'll get into that a little bit more maybe this week. Uh, I also want to tell you, we have a segment. We do it all the time. It's one of our favorite segments here on the show. It's called Biden's Newest Low. Mm-hmm. Yes, because there's always a story about Biden's newest low in some poll somewhere, and this one is among Hispanic voters from Quinnipiac, and I literally cannot believe this number. I actually feel like this is a misprint because I would never tell you that I thought it was possible that that a Democratic president, no matter how terrible they were, could be at 19% favorability among Hispanic voters. I would have told you that that was impossible. It is not only possible, it is here as part of Biden's newest low. GRIP 6 is here, and they have fashionable and customizable belts. They uh, they have great wallets. They have fantastic socks. The wallets are really cool. I don't know if you've converted from the old-school wallet into one of these new uh, new types of wallets. I think it's a major improvement. Like capitalism tends to solve these problems. And back in the day, you had the George Costanza wallet. that made you sit kind of askew. It was so big, you had to shove all your receipts and stuff in there. And then a company like Grip Six comes along and says, "Hey, why don't we make the wallets sleek and cool, and so you can get good, easy access to your cards and your cash, but it doesn't take up your entire pocket. It's nice and easy." Well, Grip Six has that. They have all sorts of cool features. You can customize all this stuff. They have a cool loop to get it out of your pocket, which is nice as well. If you go to Grip6.com 6.com/ stew you can see their entire lineup. You can use the code STU to save 15% off right now. Grip the number six.com/stew. Great American company a company that loves America and is sourcing everything from America why not team up with them for your next wallet or socks or belt grip6.com/do get 15% off today America's team, the Toronto Blue Jays, is back in the news. Uh, They're playing a series against the St. Louis Cardinals in Toronto, and Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt, two all-stars, can't go play in Toronto for the Cardinals because they are unvaccinated. And I want to address one thing on this, because a lot of people are saying, hey, oh, that's unfair. The Blue Jays are having an advantage because all these other teams can't bring their players, or some of them, uh, across the border. It is not an advantage. Your team might have like three games where they have a couple of their players not being able to play. The Blue Jays have to play all of their games without any of these players. They literally lost a Cy Young award winner last year because he wasn't vaccinated. They couldn't resign him because he couldn't play any of the games in the country. So, no, I don't feel bad that one of your players can't come across the border for one series. I don't feel bad about it at all. The Blue Jays couldn't sign any players at all in the entire field of players that are unvaccinated. They couldn't get any of them. So I'm sorry you had a couple of games where your guys got to sit back and hang out at the bar, and play some golf. But I'm not going to feel all that bad about it. You know, it's been just over a month since the big decision of the Supreme Court, probably the biggest one we'll ever see in our lifetime. Six twenty-four twenty-two 22 was that date. It is the date we have on our fancy little mugs and T-shirts and such. A lot of people are getting them to kind of make a subtle but powerful statement about their feelings on the idea that maybe we let babies be born. It's a radical idea out there, apparently, but uh, one I I support. You can get it at studosmerch.com. Use the code Stu10 for 10% off. We'll see you tomorrow.